you ever had the crazy thought, I should run for office one day? And, and if you're thinking that, you're probably thinking, what's it like? What's it like to deal with the media, the public, the fundraising, the scrutiny? I did it in 2009 when I ran for mayor, and it was intense. I have three first-time candidates in the room. None of them won, but they all ran great races against much better finance incumbents and almost pulled it off. John Grant is an affordable housing advocate. He took 45% against longtime incumbent Tim Burgess in a citywide race. Michael Maddox, a local parks advocate and active Democratic Party politico, got over 48% in his race. And Tammy Morales, a food justice advocate, shocked the pundits, getting 49% of the votes. How many votes short were you, Tammy? 343. See, yeah, you know that number, don't you? (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) It was close. So today's show isn't about the issues. It's about how how it feels to run. And I'm kind of thinking that this is a special edition for those of you thinking about doing it one day or or for those of you just curious about it. Now, in each case, their opponent had a a ton more money and and their opponent was also endorsed by the big daily paper here, the Seattle Times. Uh, But these three also had the endorsement of our influential alternative weekly, The Stranger. By the way, I endorsed all three, too. Uh, We don't agree on all the issues, but we all shared a belief that the status quo could use a little shaking up and... That's usually all it takes to get my my inter, uh, my endorsement for, to somebody. So the first song I played was I Want to Be Sedated by the Ramones because that's how I felt after a long campaign. <laughs> I was just wiped out. Just, you know, put me on a plane. Hurry, hurry, hurry before I go insane. But it's been two weeks now, and now I'm going to ask the candidates after their election um, – what word or short phrase would you use after a long campaign? I Well, you know, you, you asked us uh, what song we would choose. Which you one know, would you have chosen? What would be our theme song for post-election, you know, okay. uh, Haze? And I, I, I went with Slater Kinney's uh, Jumper. And it's a song about uh, people who jump off bridges. <laughs> but the reason I chose it, it wasn't that morbid. I, I really chose it because I felt like, you know, it's a you have to decide to make this jump to run for office. And there's a lot of risks. There's a lot of reasons not to do it. And yet people still choose to jump in and do it. Um, and also, it's just a great song. It's a great rock and roll song. Um, so. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I don't know if I can think of a phrase or a word, but that's the song that came to my mind. Jumper. How about mm-hmm. you, Tammy? Well, I definitely was ready for a break when it was all over. You know, I think for me, it was this sort of low grade anxiety for 12 months. <laughs> and so having that be over was great. And I was ready, re- really just ready to relax with my family. And what was the source of the low grade anxiety? Well, lots of things. I think. You know, I think for me, the most anxiety provoking part of this were were the forums, because for me, uh, I'm the kind of person who wants to feel completely prepared and understanding coming to the realization that I am not actually an expert in every policy matter that we were discussing was, you know, it took a while for me to come to the realization that that was okay. And I think it wasn't until I learned that lesson that I was able to communicate more effectively in forums. And so just going in and knowing that there was going to be a question that I couldn't answer and I was going to have to figure out how to get through it anyway. That really weighed on me as a candidate when I, you know, I have to have an answer to everything Mm -hmm. because they they keep asking questions, (laughs) you know, and and what do you do with that? Michael? No, I mean, I'm pretty sure we all got it. We all, uh, the local electronic dance music. 
magazine sent out a questionnaire that we all had to fill out. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot about harm reduction uh, and, and other opportunities for folks who are going to be engaging in rapes and potentially using illicit substances. And, you know, so it really turned into a, a public safety crime portion of it. Um, you know, juggling back a little bit, going back to, you know, the, the, the song that I picked was Sonic Youth's 100%. And for me, what that came down to is just, there's a line in the song, but all I, know, all I know is you got no money, but that's got nothing to do with a good time. And uh, my campaign had no money. Uh, <laughs> but damn, we had a really, really good you, time. You may have been having the most fun out there, Michael, <laughs> as I was watching, just from the number of smiles that I saw. It was a lot of fun. You know, I mean, because there's definitely the situation that Tammy pointed out where you're you're not going to be an expert in everything. And as you pointed out, you're not going to have an answer to everything. But I guess I lucked out in my race, in my, uh, in my campaign, in that myself and my opponent in the general election were able to really keep it cordial. So that meant I felt like I was able to let loose a lot more. And uh, so that was, I think, helpful. And so we did have a really good time on our campaign. We flew by the seat of our pants for most of it. Um, the idea of preparing before forums is not my forte. <laughs> but, you know, I, I learned if, if you string a, a, a series of words together that have really no connection to each other but <laughs> but you have emotion when you do it and you say the right inflection points and you point with your thumb like bill clinton does and you end on what you know is gonna be an applause line everybody's gonna love what you just said you I, have no idea buying, what are you guys it was buying that? no i don't buy that at all why, why not grant <laughs> i mean i job. so i went up to a forum uh, up in north seattle and one of the questions was you know what's the one thing you would do for our neighborhood to make it a better place and all the district candidates nailed it. All the at-large candidates flubbed it because they, they weren't familiar enough with the community. And that was a real learning moment for me that, you know, I've lived all over town. I've lived in Greenwood, Georgetown, uh, Columbia City. But every neighborhood, every community has this one particular thing that is a problem. And you need to have an answer to, re to resolve it and address it. And so for me, it was like really this moment of like, all right, like, and, and there's this woman who stood up and asked me that question and she was, it, it's not, she wasn't livid. She wasn't angry. It was just like passion. She really wanted to know the answer to that question. And I did my best, but you know, afterwards, you know, I got her information. It was like, you know, I want to follow up with you uh, because I don't think I had a good answer and nobody did. So, you know, I think for the citywide candidates, it was a challenge because you need to know the nuance of every neighborhood if they're going to be taken seriously. And, and that was something that, you know, you got to do. It was hard. I mean, I was really active in my neighborhood. I was president of the community council. I did a lot in the city. I was on stakeholder committees and I still would walk into neighborhoods and, and barely know anything about the neighborhood because it's a big city mm -hmm. and you tend to have your own routes that you take every day and, and in right. your work. So to get to know the rest of the place, it was good to have local guides. Yes. That when you went into a neighborhood. True. Yeah, I was so fortunate where I'd walk in the door and there was one, actually, this is, I shouldn't probably admit this on the air, but when I went to the 11th district endorsement meeting, which is, you know, like Georgetown, uh, South Seattle, I didn't have somebody lined up to uh, endorse me. And I w went around a room and was talking to folks and I was like, hey, uh, can you make a nomination for my endorsement? And People are like, kind of like, who are you? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I found a, a woman who, uh, bless her heart, I was like, you know, I'm the former director of the tenants union. And she's like, I'm a renter and I just had my rents doubled. I will happily make that motion. Well, and she you. did it, yeah. you know, and I was, I was like, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, 
and I still have her information. I'm going to, I'm going to write her a little personal thank you letter. And, um, you know, unfortunately I didn't get the endorsement, but, you know, I think it really speaks to how, you know, having folks on the ground who know their community, you need to build a relationship with those folks. You need yeah. to build a coalition uh, of people who really know their their communities and know their neighborhoods if you're going to succeed citywide and definitely, I think, in a district. Well, even within the districts, you know, District 2 is so different. There's so many different kinds of neighborhoods. And, you know, when I decided to run, I went, I live in southeast Seattle in the Rainier Valley um, near Seward Park. And I went to Georgetown first and started door knocking there and talking to people there first because I knew that I had to get to know that community better. Um, and it paid off. You know, I won those two precincts um, handily. So I think it makes a big difference getting to know people, getting to know the issues in the community and and doing the work of so of the being three, on the ground of there. the three of you, how many of you knocked on doors and asked for votes? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. How was that? I actually didn't have to knock on doors to ask for votes. I was running citywide and it just didn't make sense in my campaign. We phone banked and I'd pick mm-hmm. up the phone and phone bank. Yeah. What was it like for you guys walking to the door and, uh, and talking? That, that was that was one. Uh, I mean, where I would run into a problem is I would get a door and there would be a policy issue that would come up and I'd spend 20 minutes at the door. And my campaign team did not <laughs> feel that was a very productive use of my time. Um, but it, it's because I'm interested in public policy and I'm interested in what specific, you know, what actions we could take as a city and what those impacts are going to be on our, on our neighborhoods and on individuals. Um, but generally you know, I found most people to be more or less pleasant. Um, there are some people who don't want you knocking on their door at all, and they will gladly tell you when, uh, when they get to the door and a lot of other folks are somewhere in between. But, um, I, f- I found that on the list that we were using, we had a lot of really engaged and smart voters who knew specific issues. And that goes right back to the forums. They want to know what you were going to do for their street. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, for me, a part of that I felt was some, uh, some education that, um, you know, I, I'm not running to be head of DPD or um, to be head of the uh, transportation department. But what a council member can and should do is take your concerns back to those agencies and ensure that there's adequate follow up. Because uh, I think that there are some people who felt that now we have a district council member, they're going to be able to fix this pothole. It's like, well, not exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the executive's job. <laughs> Well, you know, I, there's so many different things to talk about. I I always, I think you guys are all policy wonks, and I think that's a challenge, right? How do you take that policy wonk background and start distilling it down to really brief right. talking yeah. points and connecting with people? That was, that, that was my biggest challenge well, for sure. Yeah, that was a lesson that I only really, really learned after the, my stranger endorsement interview. And they're like, <laughs> this guy's a nerdy policy wonk, et cetera, et cetera. And um, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, that as well. And uh, it was a challenge, I think. To walk that back, because when you're talking to people, you know, they don't need to know how the linkage fee works. What they want to know is, are you going to fight for our community? Are you going to fight for affordable housing? Are you going to be an agent to work against the money and interests that have been kind of been a problem in our city and mm-hmm. been creating these economic um, insecurities for folks? And I think, you know, speaking to people more from a value stance, more about your passion, and what you want to do for the city is always going to be better than explaining to them how rent control works <laughs> or something like and that. And it's amazing know? how often I was told that by our my consultants and campaign manager and how hard it was to make that switch. I think, you know, I've, several folks, Michael included, have talked about how my my candidacy really didn't sort of grow and blossom until well after the primary. And I do think that it was had a lot to do with this challenge of um, – figuring out how to talk to people and how to go back to values and 
once I figured that out, I think my, my communication was much more effective. It's surprising how much of the communication is on an, an emotional level, yeah. not on a policy level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you, and I would say I, all four years of being mayor, I was learning that, you know, that how do you make that emotional connection? Of course, sometimes does it bug you guys at all a little? Cause it bugged me a little bit. Sometimes it's like, yeah, but don't get sucked in by the person who can give you the good emotional response, sure. but their policy is all wrong. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a challenge. Get no argument about that for me. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I was noticing Tammy saying, you know, um, when she said my consultant, you know, et cetera, and I just got to take a, a moment and notice that we we can say our consultant. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. We, all, all, we all, all shared the same consultant. That's right. But, um, you know, and I, I think that um, it's interesting where the candidate has to make a decision between what they think is best for their campaign and what their advisors think is best for their campaign. Because for, for my background, I mean, I'm a community organizer. Um, you know, when I was at the tenants union, you would spend years building relationships with people to kind of bring folks about to take a collective action, right? When you run for office, it's like these millisecond relationships. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, was the hardest transition. And my consultant, uh, you know, John Weibel, our consultant, what he was trying to pull me away from was this idea that, you know, uh, there's just so many people. There's just so many people in the city that you need to communicate with and you need to communicate effectively and efficiently. And my tendency would be like, all right, I'm going to go to this community meeting and I'm going to sit through the whole thing and I'm going to talk to every person individually. And the tension there between really developing deep connections with folks that can kind of carry you forward versus trying to speak to so many people and get your message out to so many folks that was a tension that I never really felt comfortable with and never really felt like I totally resolved. You know, Mike, you ran citywide. I ran, yeah. C- I ran citywide as well. I kind of went against my consultant's advice and I did door knock. You know, he was uh-huh. like, there's just too many precincts. You know, you can't possibly talk to that many folks. But for me, I mean, given my values, given what I wanted my campaign to look like and what I wanted to be able to say to voters is that I am knocking on doors. I am talking to people one-on-one. I am trying to build those relationships. And of course, there's just too many precincts to like do that in a way that shifts the tide of the vote. But as a value, I felt it was important for us to actually build a relationships with those people. And it paid off because those same people ended up telling other folks and ended up actually coming to uh, endorsement meetings. And they wouldn't have otherwise turned out had they just gotten a phone call. You certainly have to recruit people. Yes. That's part of it, too. I mean, for me, one of the hardest things was on an emotional level, deciding to run was I'd always worked on issues I went to work with people who I knew believed in those issues too. And then all of a sudden I felt like it was about me, right? How do I ask all these people to say it's about me? And and for me, a big insight was, oh, it's not actually about me. Mm-hmm. It turns out I'm just a vehicle mm-hmm. to help mm-hmm. achieve right. the right. things that they want to see in the city. It's mm-hmm. actually about right. them. Re- realizing that made it easier for me to ask people for help because I was kind of shy about asking people for help initially because I felt like I was asking them to do something for me instead of doing something for us. Mm-hmm. Well, I think mm-hmm. that's that's part of what made fundraising easier. You know, as mm-hmm. as hard as it is to make those phone calls yep. and to call, you know, your cousin who you haven't talked to in <laughs> 15 years and ask for money, knowing that you were doing it on behalf of the community right. and on behalf of the the work that you want to see that you want to preserve the, the you know, the things you want to see advance. That and me being a small business owner, understanding the importance of cash flow right, <laughs> to right. getting your work yeah. done. Um, but, you know, that makes it that makes it easier to make those phone calls and to have people understand that you're what you're really asking for 
is for help serving your community better. What was the hardest thing? It, for me, it was fundraising. But for you all, what was the hardest thing to kind of do as a candidate that you knew you were supposed to do, but it was tough? The hardest thing was drawing lines in the sand with people, you know, like, cause you, you kind of have, you run against an incumbent. Mm-hmm. That is a challenge, right? Because they have institutional relationships, they have uh, name recognition and they curry favor with different groups in ways that if it was an open seat, that wouldn't necessarily be the case. So what do you mean when you say drawing lines in the sand? Well, I mean, like, you know, I had colleagues who I'd worked with for years who, you know, supported his campaign. And I didn't take it personally because I, in fact, I actually, and you know, I won't say who, but I would sit down with organizations who would endorse my opponent and be like, this is the year where you guys can advance your policy priorities. I understand you're not going to support me, but you know, can I start talking about things on the campaign trail that will put pressure on Tim, my opponent? That was, I think, actually pretty effective. A lot of yeah. good policy got passed this year because my campaign pushed folks to the left and I understood and, and appreciated the nuance and complexity of those relationships. At the same time, I also wish people would just kind of, you know, crap or get off the pot, as my grandpa would say, and just like, you know, all right, let's let's have real change. And rather than have to have a left candidate run against the city council every time to get something done, that we just have progressive candidates get elected. Yeah, Sounds, I think that was the hardest thing for me, too. I what mean, was we, that? We were, John and I are in a similar situation of running against longtime incumbents who have established relationships, who have you know, access to resources. And I think for me, the hardest thing was not, you know, being a first time candidate has its own sets of challenges, right? Just understanding the mechanics of running a campaign. But I think for me, what was hard was understand coming to the realization that so many organizations, so many community leaders wanted me to win. (laughs) Yeah. And they weren't going to endorse me. Yes, I, that was my experience um, as well. And so that was the hard thing, dealing with somebody who you think should be your ally and yeah. you think they should be public for you, but they won't do yeah. it. Because, and it makes sense. I mean, yeah, I totally understand. It makes sense, right? Because it's, it's but... I mean, it's what you would call, it's what they would call triangulation, right? Like, so you're a lefty organization. You have your constituents, your members that, you know, you, that are your priority and you have your public policy issues that you're working on. You, you know, you're, it's not a political question. This is how do you advance the interests of your organization? How do you advance the interests of your members? And a lot of people would take that as an opportunity to put pressure on the people who currently have power, not to necessarily change the power dynamic. And so I get it. You know, I used to be the head of an organization, right? That's just how it works. But every now and then there's a couple organizations that step out of that triangulation and kind of out of a leap of faith, support you. And, you know, I had some organizations and unions that supported my campaign and I was thrilled, but it was a risk for them to do it. It was a big deal. Well, you have to figure out which organizations are the ones who think their power comes from their organizing and which ones thinks their power comes from relationships with elected officials. Mm -hmm. And the latter group is really hard for a challenger to get an endorsement from. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much risk aversion. Yeah. I mean, my campaign definitely saw that. And, you know, the, in the primary, it was, there's no way Michael Maddox can get out of the primary. You're facing a 12-year incumbent and somebody who's going to have boatloads of money. And that 12-year incumbent took less than 20% in the primary, and suddenly I got through. And then came, I think it was in five weeks, we picked up a dozen labor union endorsements. A whole host of other elected officials had come out. Um, but our campaign had been written off numerous times before then. 
Um, but, um, but luckily I was, I had some good folks who were willing to take that risk, you know, first with uh, representative Brady Walkinshaw, who's suddenly doing his own little thing. Uh, <laughs> and then with a uh, speaker, Frank chop, um, and then came, you know, equal rights, Washington and NARAL. And it set me up to at least be considered credible. Then of course the, the final coup, uh, the final coup, that's not the right word for it. Coup de grace, maybe that. whatever it is. The coup, Yeah. <laughs> the final thing came when the stranger made their endorsement. And that's when I think that our campaign felt like we were definitely were going to be able to get out of the primary. And once we did, we saw more people willing to take that risk that you know, we were able to be scrappy in our way to get out of a primary. Well, hell, maybe he might just be able to get through this general election. Um, well, the, wrong, the, but that is what it is. The first, the first primary is the perception primary. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's a combination of money and endorsements. Mm-hmm. And I would say all three of you were struggling in the perception primary yep. mm-hmm. in big time. Um, but then finally they counted votes. It, it turns out that endorsements and money aren't the same thing as actual votes. Right. You'd all three had merged, but for you, it took you even longer yep. and in, into the general election as well. You, uh, I'm talking to Tammy, um, media wasn't even covering it because the race was over. <laughs> right. My opponent was a shoe in. There was no reason to cover the district issues. I'm not sure why that was the rationale, but, um, yeah, it was very hard to get coverage for our race and, and for the issues going on in South And how Seattle. did it feel then as a campaigner when you were being told that you had no chance and your you know your opponents a shoe in? Well, the interesting thing about that whole conversation or, you know, lack of conversation is that I was the only one who was actually knocking on doors, listening to voters, listening to people in the community, and so I knew that there was a palpable sense of frustration in the in the district. Uh, so I was not surprised by the general election results. Um, I mean, I would have liked to see a different outcome, but, but, you know, it didn't surprise me. And I think what was, what was most frustrating was knowing that if, you know, if folks had taken the time to research the district, to talk to voters, to listen to some of the, we didn't have a whole lot of, um, community forums for district two, you know, district five had like. 25 forums. We just didn't have that. So that was part of the problem is that the media wasn't coming to listen to the candidates um, or to listen to voters. You know, it was it was definitely frustrating to see our communities be ignored, um, certainly as the as the majority minority district, as the district with high unemployment, high poverty. I think it was incumbent upon the press to keep our voters informed of where their, their candidates stood on issues and that just didn't happen. Well, it's interesting. The press corps is getting thinner and thinner. Well, um, yeah. Right? I mean, there's just fewer and fewer reporters. The other piece of it is that this is, you know, this kind of strategy of inevitability is actually a pretty decent strategy for the candidates with money and lots of endorsements. Right? Sure. To suppress enthusiasm for the opponent and make it seem inevitable. And then some of those organizations start peeling off because they don't want to take a risk. Mm-hmm. You know, and your money and your volunteers might not not get there. So how do you break through when you feel like, you know, everybody seems to be stacking up against you? What do you do to break through against that aura of inevitability of your opponent? Well, I mean, something that I think our three campaigns consistently did was to change the conversation. You know, when it was all the press was saying, oh, look at all the money, 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 money. People like the money because it's it's a known factor. It's a number on a screen that you can point to. It's a little more ineffable about what what our voters actually feeling, mm-hmm. and so our campaigns changed the conversation in the city. We uh, came together around a joint affordable housing platform. 
Uh, we push for revenue reform that are in, in places. We, you go to the places where your opponent's not willing to go. And that's what we did time and time again. We pushed the conversation left. We pushed the conversation to make Seattle a more progressive place. And just, you know, then there was just this silence from the other side. And then the conversation is, oh, well, here's what we're talking about, what we want to do collectively to fix the affordable housing problem in Seattle or to fix, you know, revenue reform, which is something Michael was a real uh, strong uh, proponent of. That's my baby. And, you know, I, I think we did a good job. Like the, the stories that started coming out was less like this is an inevitable loss for these candidates. Why do they even try? It was, wow, like we could actually do big things as a city. Why? And here are the people who are, you know, saying that. Why, why not? Why not? Why don't we do that? You got to grab the mic. You know, you have to say what you're going to do and seize an issue. You can't just run on resume well, and yeah. endorsements. And I think part of it was um, for those of us who were running as the, you know, quote unquote, alternative yeah. uh, slate or um, group of candidates was, I think for all of us, and not that I don't want to speak for everyone, but for me, you know, part of why I ran was because I felt like w- there was such an opportunity in this city to take the council a little more left, a little more progressive to really take some risks and to, to try innovative things in the city. And I just didn't see a lot of urgent sense of urgency to address some of the issues in the city. And, you know, there was a group of candidates who were clearly interested in taking the bull by the horns Mm -hmm. and trying to do something different and not doing business as usual in the Mm -hmm. city. And I think, you know, for me being a part of this group of candidates who were so energetic and so excited about trying some progressive uh, policy changes was was um, invigorating and mobilizing and part of what helped keep me going on those days when it felt really rough. <laughs> mm-hmm. But along with that, though, does come when the media does pay attention to those things is, uh, I think what was Ellis Conklin at one point described me as hard charging or uh, Joel Connolly would say that I was impatient. And let's, you know, I can never forget the um, the strangers beautiful descriptions of me. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that happens. That comes up. What what was that description? Come oh, on, just one? say it. Which oh, one? Oh. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Was it our Rob Ford? Was that one our of them? Our very own Rob Ford. Our very own Rob Ford was one of them. Yeah. And for the yeah. record, I've never used methamphetamines okay. um, <laughs> that I'm aware of. And so, you know, so, so that would come up. And, you know, that, that was a perception that I knew I was going to have going into it because of my long history being involved in local policy and, po- and politics. Um, and, you know, at one point, I think Christian Sinderman said that, you know, Michael Maddox is, is a bomb thrower. And I was, right. I was, I was, I was a little perturbed. Cause like, well, Christian, you handed me a lot of those bombs to throw before. And now you're going to start using that against me, A. And B, if being a bomb thrower means calling out people who are anti-choice and anti-civil rights as anti-choice and anti-civil rights with very strong language, calling them bigots because that's what they are, or misogynists because that's what they are. And I'm tossing bombs every opportunity that I get to make sure those folks aren't in, in, in places of power. Um, but going back to it, so that I think would happen is, you know, suddenly it's, you know, these people are, are, are radicals. And, and I'm like, but it, it's not that radical of an idea to talk about revenue reform because everybody's talking about it. But my take on it was it's not enough to say we need this. We need to chart a path. And so we were all able to come together around, here's a path to what we can do to make that actually happen. So we're not just saying it sounds nice, but it's something that we can realize as a city if we're willing to be bold and be leaders. Well, that's I think that's another challenge. And I, I'm getting a little bit of a feeling of that from you, Michael. And I had it too. That thing of, 
uh, they start talking about your personality rather yeah. than about your ideas. Yeah. Um, I know, uh, gosh, I think it was a KUW interview and um, Tim Burgess at one point turns to me and says, you know, John's an ideological mouthpiece. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. and and Bill and Bill and Bill Radke was interviewing, and even he was like, "I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know." And I, and and yeah, it's like they want to. Is it so radical or unreasonable to think or believe and want for everyone to have a home? Is it radical to think that you know women should get paid as much as men? Is it radical to think that you know, gosh, wouldn't it be great if you know the internet was a public utility? Is it that radical? I just you know, and and it's the the Seattle process is that what kind of grinds those things down to a halt, right? That these things that really are just basic ideas of, you know, human dignity, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that that's a radical idea. I mean, the Seattle process just grinds that down, that there's this incrementalism that we have to follow. And I just don't think that that's this, that's the city we have anymore. Um, And it's only when, you know, a waterfall, a tidal wave of money, keeps that Seattle process in place. And I, I think that we can do better than that. And I think that's what our three campaigns represented. But but let's talk about that a little bit because it's it's fascinating when you're in a campaign and all of a sudden your personality now appears to be putting on dis- be put on display and you have to deal with that. But maybe it's going the other way too, right? They're just enthralled to the power brokers and the money. Right. Isn't that an element, too, of campaigns that you start getting? This? Yeah, but in our case, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was really funny in my campaign in 2009. Uh, I both I and a guy by the name of Joe Malahan came out of the primary and the incumbent was gone. And Joe and I had been pretty pleasant to each other during the primary. And I think as the general went on, we were both just getting under each other's skins. Did you guys, did you, I mean, Michael here claims that he and Rob Johnson got along great. Oh, so. they were BFFs throughout. <laughs> oh, we got sure. under each other's skin, though. We would, we would, we would purposely do it from time to time. Uh, I would actually like to take some of it because he would, uh, Rob would oftentimes have the same stories. Um, he was really good at staying on message where I wasn't. And so I would just start telling his stories before he could at forums. <laughs> so, so he's going to say this, <laughs> just so you're all aware. Um, I could tell you he, he didn't care for that or, you know, he, and then and then he would flip stuff back. Uh, I think one of my favorites was we we had a forum at a senior living facility in Wallingford. He said something to me. Well, how old are you, Michael? You're you're one of the youngest running this year. I'm like, yeah, I'm 34. He's like, yeah, and I'm 37. And that's the difference. Experience matters. <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch! Because <laughs> like, he had last word during that forum. I'm like, oh, experience losing campaigns well, in Pierce County. It's yeah. it's really fascinating how people get personal. Did you feel it got a little well, personal I, for you, you know, Tammy? The interesting thing for my campaign was that I, um, you know, I got accused of being negative. She's running a negative campaign. Everything is negative. And from my perspective, I was talking about a voting record or a lack of a voting record, and there wasn't anything personal about it. It was, you know, this is what my opponent has done or hasn't done. Um, but, you know, I think for me what was a little harder, and I know you're, you're told not to read the comments on the blogs and all of that, but I would read them once in a while, and there were definitely trolls who, you know. Yeah, throw just throw stuff at you. Yeah, You know, just like, wow, that is just patently false, and I'm getting upset by it. And so I'm going to turn the computer off. Now. Yeah, I read every comment. You know, it's not it's so not helpful to I do that. I got pretty good about not reading them after a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, with, with me and, and Tim, you know, everybody was like, oh, this is going to be a real fist fight. It's going to be like this really ugly race. And I, 
I got to say, I didn't really feel like that's what it was. Like I more or less stuck to his record. Mm-hmm. And that was enough. I mean, it wasn't enough, but <laughs> it was it was enough for me to really just be like, well, you know, here's the vote he took on, you know, homelessness. Here's the vote he took on police accountability and all these things. And um, I never felt like there was, um, you know, before I, I decided to run, I actually got a beer with Tim and we just talked talked about it. And I was like, you know, this is nothing personal. You know, I just think that I have a different direction than than you. And I think that people in the city should have a choice. And, you know, then the primary happened. I don't have no idea what, what Tim thinks, but for me, it was never personal. And there is a, it's really easy to make it personal um, and publicly make it personal. But the race was more or less, you know, about the issues. But it did, it, you, you were feeling the intensity of it as the race went on. It was more intense. You wanted to, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but you wanted to correct him when he said something wrong. Oh, uh, well, draw the my, my fatal flaw, and this came out in my endorsement interview with the stranger, is when people talk about affordable housing and they don't know what they're talking about. That's my fatal flaw. St- and I, I cannot, it's like this immense willpower that I need to stop myself from just being like, no, you're just totally wrong. Here's why. <laughs> Cause that's, and that's not what people want to hear. <laughs> you know, like they want to hear a different vision. They don't want you to be meticulously critiquing somebody's whatever, you know? And, um, that was hard, especially when, you know, we were pushing for rent control and then Tim introduces a resolution for rent control. My, I regret my initial response. I wrote this letter saying like, Here's all the things wrong with this resolution. And I didn't step back and think, actually, we just won this fight. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that yeah. should have been that should have been my res- my initial response. And over time, that's what we said, because it was true. Like we it, won that fight. Yeah. It's easy to get into the weeds of the policy debates. Right. And, and, you know, myself circling back to Joe, um, the intensity of our feelings towards each other in the final parts of the campaign you know, app, you know, completely dissipated post-election. We both had kids in the same high school, by the way, and we'd connect in the stands <laughs> of, uh, of events. And, uh, but it's something about campaigns that drive that intensity. I mean, there was a few times and that definitely came up during our, cause yeah, we were known for having the nicest campaign, um, in the city and it's cause Rob and I generally did like each other, but there were, we had one day where we had two forums in the same day because God hates candidates. And, <laughs> um, by the second one, it's it's exhausting doing two two hour plus long forums in one day. Um, but during the first one, that was the day that the IE on my behalf dropped, um, which was not a pleasant IE, and I was very very upset about it. I'm very publicly furious about it. Um, but he had just gotten it, so he'd gotten home, seen this IE that's attacking him and supporting me, and he was uh, a little perturbed with me. And that was, I think, the worst part of the, of the campaign. And for our listeners, point. an independent, an IE is a, is a third party, spends a bunch of money to send mail on behalf or of a candidate. Or $4,500 um, compared to $85,000, but right. <laughs> minor differences. Did you feel like you had to change, you know, your personality in some way? Oh, or, sure. And I felt so. I mean, you know, when you're the head of the tenants union, it's there. You basically can't be wrong. <laughs> when you're a candidate, you can be wrong um, because there's a whole host of issues that somebody has a different opinion on. You know, whether it's I mean, parking is a great example, right? Should it be located near transit hubs, or should we just you know get rid of it altogether? You know, it's and I think that you have to be a little bit more nuanced with how you communicate. Um, so for you, you're saying a willingness to say, "Hey, I may not have the answer here, yeah, and, I, that, and I may not know." And, and that's, that's actually okay. the responsible thing to say sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's what I was talking about earlier, right? Have, coming to the realization that I don't have to have all the answers. It's okay to say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. I'm not, sh- you know, I'm not clear on that policy, but I'm, I'm going to research it and figure out what the right answer would be or, you know, 
how I feel about that issue. And that was still something that I struggle with, you know, just because I'm the kind of person who wants to have as much information as possible. And when you're running a campaign, you don't have time to gather every bit of information to, you know, right. create a well-informed statement. About I was something. thinking even just at like the most basic levels, though. Yeah. I, I I had to use a lot fewer swear words. <laughs> exactly. Um, which I that's was what known I'm, for beforehand. That's was, exactly you know, what I was talking about. An <laughs> and and I, I am adamantly opposed in principle to the idea of thinking before speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to, I had to change that. Although I did find, thankfully, our consultant was much easier to ask, ask forgiveness from yeah. than permission at times. And mm-hmm. so, um, at one point he said, uh, he gave me the keys to my own website, a big mistake. <laughs> um, and at one point he's, he went and realized that I had added a bunch to it. He's like, so, but generally speaking, yeah, it was, it was on the personality front. It was, you know, I, I, I am a hard charger, um, and I have no problem swearing and I have no problem calling out BS. And I wasn't allowed to do that as much. And I knew that. And that was something I knew going into it that I was going to have to tame my tongue a little bit. I saw all of you modulating your personalities and watching you through the course of the race. Not who you were, but how you presented yourself. Yeah. And that that's kind of what I was getting at. I see everyone's heads nodding on Yeah. I mean, I had to get away from being that wonky person and figure out how to be more personable. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think part of it for me comes from just by nature being an introvert. And, um, and so I had to step away from that a little bit and figure out how I was going to connect with people. And I think once I figured that out, it was easier for me to have conversations and to really present myself in a way that resonated better with people. But um, it takes me a while to, to get there and it took me a little too long maybe this time. <laughs> you all did great. Um, most rewarding thing about running. For me, it was getting to know so many new people in the community. Um, you know, I mean, I knocked, I don't even know how many thousands of doors I knocked on. We stopped counting at some point. But um, I've developed relationships with people in every different ethnic group in the community, in our communities, in different neighborhoods in our communities, um, connected with organizations that I didn't know were in our communities. And so, you know, having people come up to me after the election was over and say, you know, we had we had a, a happy hour event for volunteers and people when when the whole thing was over, and I had people come up to me and say, "You're actually our leader now, and um, we want your help getting this, this, and this done. And we're going to come to you, and you know, we want we're going to follow what you suggest. So be ready." <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you know, it. I That's feel rewarding. like yeah, it was. Um, yeah, Michael, most rewarding thing the campaign debt no i think the the <laughs> least rewarding uh, no it, it was a, it was such an excellent opportunity to learn so much more about public public policy the implementation of policy and think about things outside of the traditional box of how we always do things as a city um and i think that any candidate anywhere that's something that you're going to find is that there's your perceptions going into it what you can do and then there's coming out of it what you actually can do um, and you know me, I learned, a, you know, I went, I got into it because of affordability, the affordability crisis. I pay 40% of my income into rent and that was a problem. So it's like, you know, it was all self-preservation at the very beginning. But from there, I learned so much more about so many issues, got to meet so many great people and leaders in our community across the city of Seattle. Um, and you know, so I feel better, um, as a, as an individual, as a person for that, and as a potential future, uh, uh, candidate for something that I'll be able to go in with even greater knowledge and greater ability to not only know about policy, but also know when to say, I have no clue what the hell the answer to this is. So let's talk about it more and learn more about it later. Most rewarding, John. You know, there's just, you can't 
beat the the sensation of you know being a, a joint voice for so many issues, causes, and people. I mean, you get to be a, a vehicle for other people's aspirations, and it's an incredible responsibility. And it's humbling. It's humbling to make it through a primary and to get you know however many votes in the general that that many people entrusted you with their wishes and desires and. You know, that was probably the most rewarding thing for me. Advice? Go ahead, I mean, and, and on that, I mean, I got more votes than Bruce did. So if I move into District 2, <laughs> de facto new council member, right? Well, I, I think you're, how it uh, works? I think I'm you're, not you, sure that that's how There's that some apples work. and oranges here that we will not give <laughs> an explanation for. Okay. Advice on the reverse of the order. John, advice for a first-time candidate. Um, know who your base is and mobilize them. Michael. Initial advice is don't do it. But once you decide <laughs> to do it, 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 it exactly what John said. Um, know your base is. Start making the connections early in advance before you decide to run so you can have that base set up, ready to go, and plop it forward. And for the love of God, don't sell out. Define base for us. Whatever. So whatever your base. So if you're, if you're a labor person, all your labor ducks lined up in a row. If you're a person who's really on affordable housing, make sure you got folks um, who are going to be with you ready to knock on doors for what your biggest issue is, what your primary issue is. Um, and so, and try to stay focused, of course, on that issue, which I was terrible at, but, uh, but do that and know who those people are. Um, because that's going to be so incredibly important on your get out the vote portion of your campaign. Uh, I mean, I know when you ran, you had the Sierra club, which was a huge, huge benefit that you had going into it. And I think that that having that initial network you then can build from there a lot easier than going into it saying, I want to change something. What do you want to change? Get involved and get involved early so you can have that to start with when you jump in. It's kind of advice to get involved in your community before you run. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You yeah. have to have those relationships in place already. I mean, it's sort of, you know, that is what it means to have your base, to know who your base is. Right. It's not like go find a base. It's no. you're, you're already, right. <laughs> you already done that work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I agree. I mean, you know, for me, I, I feel like um, one thing I would do differently is not file so early. You know, I filed in September of the year before, whatever the yeah. year before. Um, and that's just that's a long time to try to generate interest, to try to keep people donating and to sustain, you know, interest when the election is still over a year away. Um so I think my advice would be, in addition to making sure you have your base, your relationships established is is. um have your infrastructure in place. You know, for me, the one of the challenges was just the data. There's so much data that you want to track and so many different databases that you can be using. And I mean, I still have stuff on five or six different platforms. So, um, you know, there's the, there's the relationship piece. There's making sure that you know who your volunteers are going to be, you know, who your supporters are going to be. And then there's sort of running the business of a campaign piece, and um, that can be as as overwhelming as anything if you don't have people supporting you and, and helping you get that done. And I wasn't able to hire a campaign manager till after the primary, so for most of that year, um, you know, yeah, I was spread pretty thin. The and candidate is often the campaign manager for the for a long part of the campaign. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and that that affects everything that affects your ability to fundraise. It affects your ability to connect with volunteers. And, you know, I mean, in the end, we didn't have uh, we didn't have the money to do mail for the general. 
you know, it really pushed us to get out and do a lot more door knocking because that was really our only choice. Um, (laughs) Emotional advice for a first time candidate. That was practical advice, emotional advice. What would you tell them that they need to know that they might not have known before they went in? No, be prepared. Um, cause you know, there can be some nasty st- stuff that's going to come at you. Uh, I mean, I lucked out. It didn't, it didn't happen too much in my district, but you know, I saw, uh, especially in this, this is really, really sad that I'm going to say this, but especially if you're a female candidate, um, I saw the way that, you know, Bruce with his thing that he appreciated your mother, um, or the attacks that happened against Shannon Braddock down in district one, because she was a single mother. Um, and there's such a higher bar that we place as a society, on our female candidates specifically, but even, but everybody, you're there. It's going to happen. Something negative about your personality, about you as a person, about your failings in life, is going to come up. Be prepared and remember that none of that crap matters. Uh, at the end of the day, the people who are saying that they're not your friends. They're not people you're going to have in your life in the future. Run for the people whom you're trying to represent, and then if you win, those are the people who matter most, and they're the ones who, whose judgment is going to be the most important. One word answer. Would you ever do it again? Yes. John? Michael? Yeah. We are taking that under advisement. <laughs> Tammy, would you do it again? Yeah, I'd do it again. Thanks, everybody. Really great to have you on the show. Thank, Thank you. you.